former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger has died. Who gets to decide? A liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide? This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and happy, happy, happy you are listening. Well, like you heard in the intro, Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100. And Henry Kissinger is one of these names that if you came of age in the 70s, 80s, even 90s, you, you heard the name Henry Kissinger a lot. And generally speaking, he was well-respected uh, around the world for his strategic thinking and his ability to negotiate and things like that. Of course, you know, I'm going to take kind of a contrarian approach to Henry Kissinger. There's no doubt that Henry Kissinger was a significant figure in the 20th century, uh, especially around the Cold War and strategy uh, that, that was uh, employed in, in dealing with Cold War type issues. But the problem with Kissinger is the problem that we see with all government officials, especially people like Henry Kissinger, is, is they, they believe essentially in the American hegemony. Hegemony is just a, another word for empire. Think of it like that. It's a domination, American domination of the world. And this is... Uh, this was very much who Henry Kissinger was. And so in that sense, he's not unlike any of the other blood-soaked monsters that we talk about on this show. And I want to just play a little bit of the propaganda that is the story of his life. Now, obviously, these are, these are like newsreels, and this is true stuff, but... It can only be praised when looking at it through the lens of the American empire. And the reason I rail against this so much, I was just talking to a friend earlier tonight, and I was telling him about this trip that I took to Europe when I graduated college. And I traveled with people from all over the world. I traveled, you know, people from Europe, Canada, Japan, Egypt, there's a guy we traveled around with for a while from Egypt. And one of the things that really struck me, and, and growing up in the United States, you really don't have this sense unless you go travel abroad and you meet people from other parts of the world. But what I, what I discovered in that trip, among other things, is that people around the world in other countries are literally just people, just like you and me. They are striving for the same types of things. They're trying to have a decent career, raise a family, you know, live life peacefully and as comfortably as they can. And they're really, they really don't think in terms of my country's better than yours or you need to bend your will to my country because my country is the great shining city on the hill. They don't think like that at all. People are just people. 
they think about their kids. They think about what they're going to do on the weekend. They talk about the latest movie they saw. They, I mean, this, this is, this is literally people all over the world. Okay. Now, now some of these societies that are desperately poor, you know, that live on a dollar a day or $2 a day, they're not going to the movies and they're not doing some of the things we're doing. Their standard of living is horrible. In some ways they're just trying to survive even in those cases. And even more so in those cases, you know, the more desperate your, your livelihood, the less likely you're thinking about empire, right? I mean, this is, this is a, this is kind of a trait of, of a very wealthy country who thinks uh, its way is the best way and that all other countries should copy them, even if we have to force you to. And this is kind of, this is kind of what empire is all about. And if you start looking at the United States as an empire and not just as a country, you know, in a, in a group of, uh, countries throughout the world, you'll start to understand this a little bit more succinctly. And so I want to play a little bit about Henry Kissinger. Some of these are quotes. Uh, some of these are just news reports about things that he was involved with, things that he did. But make no mistake, he was a very influential person in the development of the American empire. And in he, in some ways, he kind of reminds me of like Mike Pompeo or um, John Bolton, you know, never saw a conflict. He wasn't re- ready to get right in the middle of that type of, that type of individual. So we'll, um, we'll play some of these clips. I'll come back in and comment on them because, and I just tell you up front, it's not, it, most of the time it's not going to be positive. Uh, the most positive thing I can say about Henry Kissinger is that he was an influential figure uh, during my young years and in of the 20th century, I think, uh, I think there's no doubt that he was a very influential person in the latter part of the 20th century. Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger has died. That's according to his consult- consulting firm, Kissinger Associates. He was 100 years old. A statement says that he passed away at his home today in Connecticut, Kissinger, of course, was Secretary of State under Presidents Nixon and Ford, the only person to ever serve as the National Security Advisor and Secretary of State at the same time. More now on his legacy. Out of that little intro, the thing that sticks out to me the most is the fact that he lived to be 100. I mean, that is a long life. And, you know, normally I would say somebody that's lived a long life like that, that they're, you know, it's all the clean living. But... Henry Kissinger's responsible indirectly, not directly responsible, but indirectly responsible for the deaths of at least tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And so that obviously goes unmentioned in this story, but, uh, but that's, you know, that's a long time to live and just torment your fellow human beings around the world. Kissinger, the most famous statesman of the last half of the 20th century. Celebrated and controversial. I'm not going to make any <laughs> As Richard Nixon's national security advisor and secretary of state, the diplomat wielded enormous power and influence. 
so trusted that it was Kissinger who went to China on a secret mission to explore a historic opening of U.S. relations with communist China. So here's a bit of a spoiler alert. This is the single most positive thing that Henry Kissinger did in his life. And notice that China was a communist nation, still is a communist nation. But this opening up of China, look at how it improved the lives of both Americans and Chinese. Now, I know people are running around saying China is our biggest threat and all this kind of stuff. But this, this is evidence that proves that you can just go away, be peaceful, and trade, and both parties will benefit. Now, there's some things that the Chinese did that ultimately kind of harmed our economy. But I've, but I've been on record before saying that if this government worried less about that and more about maximizing, maximizing the freedom of Americans, it really wouldn't matter if China stole our secrets. I mean, look at, you know, Elon Musk was out just talking the other day. Did you know that Elon Musk, Tesla has no patents? They just made everything they know about making EVs, and I'm not a big fan of EVs, but everything they know about making EVs is open source. Everything they know about putting rockets in space and satellites in space is open source. So Elon Musk is doing something that I think intuitively people know, but we've, we've come to believe that, you know, somebody can steal our jobs away from us because they steal our technology or whatever. You know, innovation is about, it's a moving target. You know, you never really, you have to be innovative all the time. Nobody can just invent something and sit around forever and never invent another thing. And so it's just the whole intellectual property, and you can go, you know, maybe sometime we'll play some clips from Stefan Kinsella about intellectual property. It's, it's all just, it's not grounded in any kind of uh, legal sense. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Even, even, even if you logically try to work through Things like intellectual property, it doesn't make sense. But that's a whole other thing. The bottom line is opening up of China, normalizing trade relations with China, single most important thing that Henry Kissinger did. In fact, he should have just retired after that. And there would have been a lot less damage to the, to the world had he had the wherewithal to just retire after that. Because... It's all downhill from there. Everything he ever did was that in support of tyrants and empire and death and destruction, unfortunately. And to me, that's his legacy. He's got this kind of polarized legacy, right? It's kind of, it's, it, there's a duality about Henry Kissinger. Vietnam, casualties mounted as the Vietnamese gained territory. Nixon and an undiplomatic Kissinger thought more bombing of the North would help. Yeah, you know, there's some problem with some country somewhere, in this case, Vietnam. 
North Vietnam, uh, more bombing we believe will help. So we're going to drop more bombs. I mean, you know, this is the way these guys think. And Henry Kissinger's legacy is this, this foreign policy uh, of the United States government, it persists today. Okay. This is, we are living Henry Kissinger's legacy on foreign policy. It was all about empire. It's all about maintaining the, the illusion that the United States is all powerful and can dictate to the rest of the world what it's going to do, when it's going to do it, how it's going to do it, who's going to be in charge. I mean, this is, this is Henry Kissinger's legacy. Kissinger approves secret bombings of North Vietnamese units in Cambodia without congressional approval. He would say, sometimes statesmen have to choose among evils, moral compromises in messy conflicts. Kissinger and his Vietnamese counterpart, Le Duc Tho, were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their role in negotiating a ceasefire. I have to say, I have never dealt with a group of people as treacherous as the North Vietnamese leadership. One of the things I think about when I hear this, this, this quote from Henry Kissinger, that sometimes statesmen have to choose between evils, is, is I think about no one's being, no one is above the law. You know, you remember when Trump was in trouble and, and they wanted to impeach Trump. And I mean, it was just a constant barrage of no one is above the law, not even the president. No one is above the law. No one is above the law. No one's above the law. No one's above the law. No one's above the law. Not even the president. And, and here you've got a guy who actually is saying, hey, sometimes you got to do things without congressional authority. You have, to, you have to choose between two different evils. Because, you know, that's what statesmen do. I mean, I don't know how you get away with that shit. Uh, and, and Trump picks up a phone, he picks up the phone, calls a guy in Ukraine and says, Hey, I'm not sure about this, this aid, you know, we, we may have to hold some of it back or something. He just says something like that and he gets impeached. Okay. Can you imagine this guy is bombing people in Cambodia? We weren't even at war with Cambodia, right? Bombing NVA troops in Cambodia and he says, Hey, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right. And I mean, and, 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 and now, you know, Trump, you know, I mean, it's just, it, the whole thing is just a, a circus. You know, nobody remembers these things. They just, it's their team, right? The Democrats are going, yeah, he's not above the law. No one's above the law, you know? And here you got a guy way back in the seventies, late 60s, early 70s, just flat out admitted to breaking the law, right? That's against the law, what he did, no doubt about it, still is. And um, yeah, he just, yeah, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Kissinger insisted trouble on the home front hurt chances to succeed in Vietnam. We lost the war because we were divided. And also because we were too uncertain about what we wanted. So, you know, we lost the war in Vietnam because we were divided. Well, okay. So half the country didn't want to be there. Didn't think we needed to be there. 
and you want to blame them for losing the war in Vietnam. I mean, shouldn't you have to know before you even engage in a war whether or not your population is on board with it? I mean, this is, this is the kind of stuff I don't understand why he's remembered as such a great uh, diplomatist. I mean, I understand he's got the reputation. I don't understand why he deserves it. I mean, how do you, how do you get yourself into a war that half the country doesn't want to be in? The draft is tremendously unpopular, and you, but you press on. And then finally you give up and you say, well, it was the American people's fault because, you know, half of them didn't want to be there. Well, I mean, is this a democracy or what? I mean, this is the, these are the same people running around telling you this is a democracy, okay? But 50% of the population doesn't want to be in some war. And what? You just go, screw you. We know better. We don't care what you think. I mean, this is the craziness of the system we're living under. I, I, don't, I don't think people really actually ever think about things like this. I don't think they ever think about, oh, so, you know, Joe Biden can win the presidency and the Democrats can win the presidency and just decide that, you know, yeah, we're just not going to, we're not going to enforce this law. We're not going to do this or that, even though half the country believes in it. We're going to, you know, we're going to secretly meet with Twitter and some of these other social media companies to censor them, even though, even though half the country would definitely be against it, if not more than half. And this is, this is the kind of thing that we're living in, but, but it's a democracy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's really a situation where the winner just vanquishes the loser. You know, we won. It's like winning the war. Hey, we won the war. Shut the hell up. We get to make the rules. Kissinger's support for a coup in Chile and pro-U.S. military strongmen in other parts of the world drew criticism. Kissinger's legacy would be contested decades later when he testified in Congress at the age of 91. What? A coup in Chile? Yeah, a coup in Chile. Meddling in other countries' affairs. Just like we did in Ukraine. Just like we did all in and throughout Central America. Panama. Um, Honduras, Guatemala. I mean, you name it. We've been all over Central America interfering with their affairs, electing presidents, making sure other presidents don't get elected. I mean, yeah, this is, this is just what we did. And guys like Kissinger thought it was just okay to do because eh, we were the shining city on the hill. You know, America, that's America, America my brother likes to say America you know the bombs away club hey you don't you don't like what we have to say bombs away here they come we're going to launch them on you i mean this is the way we need to start seeing our own country because i'm i'm i've said this before but one of my big fears is there's already people around the world that feel this way about our country they already feel this way but they feel like there's not anything they can do about it. But there will come a day, I believe, where they could do something about it. And the retribution is going to be pretty 
pretty tough. It's going to be tough for us to swallow. But I, I believe it's coming because there's, you know, America's, some of America's weakest moments are in its future. And that's when people take advantage of you when you're weak. But we're weak. We're going to be weak. We are weak now because we've, we've weakened ourselves. And that's, that's a real tinderbox. You want to leave your country better off than you found it. And there's nothing in private life you can do that's as interesting and as fulfilling. I played this clip because, you know, when somebody looks back on the arc of their life, you know, I think they do want to think like this. They want to say to themselves, I worked to leave my country better off than I found it. Right. But I, I just don't think you can say that about Henry Kissinger. I, I really don't. Um, he, if you add up all the things that he did, and I've already told you my opinion, the only positive thing he did was the whole normalizing trade relations with China. All this other stuff is just hegemony. It's, it's, he just, he, he created precedent for the things that are still happening today. A lot of this war power stuff where you can just bomb some country without congressional approval, that was done for the very first time by Henry Kissinger. He's the one that made that standard. And this is why when somebody breaks the law, we have to, we have to do something about it. We have to prosecute them, right? Because otherwise that sets precedent. And and things just get worse and worse and worse. And then people kind of get lost in all of it. They, they lose sight of what is it, you know, we re- really should be doing. Why are we doing this? Is this good for the world? Is it good for America? They, you, you just get kind of twisted around and you can't tell which way is up. And you've got to have uh, boundaries, right? Just like little kids, when you're raising little kids, they have boundaries, and the reason they have boundaries is so that they know how to be human beings, right? If you let human beings cross boundaries and then that becomes the new norm, then eventually human beings don't know how to treat other human beings. And this is, I think, where we are in America today. Well, uh, Henry Kissinger was a towering figure uh, in U.S. foreign relations, Um both admired and hated, uh, he was the most consequential foreign policymaker of the uh, superpower era. But he would become a signal figure, an important figure for those trying to understand U.S. foreign policy for decades. Indeed, after his 100th birthday, Henry Kissinger was an honored guest in China. And for the Chinese, Kissinger was a symbol of a relationship uh, with the United States that, frankly, doesn't really exist anymore. Well, there's no question that Henry Kissinger was a towering figure in foreign policy. I I mean, I can't even dispute that. I wouldn't even try to dispute that. It's just a fact. The question is, you know, was he good for foreign policy. You know, one of the things that's, that people don't realize about foreign policy is when you create policy that drives the way you deal with other countries, 
a lot of that comes back around and ends up being implemented in, in the domestic policy. And we've talked about this before. Like if you look at the Patriot Act, the Patriot Act authorized uh, the security state, uh, you know, the DHS, the FBI, the NSA, you know, to, to essentially tap people's phone lines outside of America, right? Like you could tap calls that were coming into America as long as they were, they originated in foreign countries, but you didn't, you didn't tap calls going on here inside of America. Right. But, but now they do. In fact, it's not even a tap. The, the NSA, the NSA is listening to what I'm saying right now. They, they scour the internet. They scour all the telecommunications conversations. They search for words like bomb or, um, I don't know, they have all these keywords, and when you say a keyword, it pops up, it sets that conversation aside, and, and somebody listens to it, and then they decide whether or not they're going to send a hit team after you or whatever. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, but whether you need to be investigated, whether you need to be visited by somebody. And, and so this is the way we used to treat uh, people from the Middle East that we thought were terrorists. But now this is the way we're being treated as U.S. citizens. doesn't matter that there's a Fourth Amendment, you know, that, that we're you're supposed to be secure in our papers and our communications, or that we have a, a right uh, against unreasonable searches and seizures. You know, none of that matters. They just take it. And nothing happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody's even talking negatively about that. This is the new normal. This is like the fish in the water. And you say, hey, fish, how's the water? And the fish says, what water? You know, this is just the environment now. This is the environment that we live in. And the Fourth Amendment means nothing. This is why I get kind of sad about the direction of America is it's, we had a, see, the state is anti-freedom, okay? The reason all these amendments are in the Constitution, they're things that, that we the people say that the state cannot do. Why? Why, cannot, why do we say that the state can't do these things in the first 10 amendments? Well, the reason why is because these things are antithetical to freedom, to liberty, and our founders knew that. And now we, we either argue about them, like the Second Amendment, whether or not we should have it, or should, it, should we have common sense laws that regulate the Second Amendment, things like that. No, these are things that guarantee liberty. From, from who? I mean, against who? Against the government, okay? This, and we completely don't know this anymore. Nobody knows this in our society anymore. We think these are things just written down and, you know, technology and our, our, the way we interact now with our politics makes all these things obsolete. And the fact that we have a military and we have police, we don't need guns because the police and the military have guns and yeah, we don't need free speech or there's certain speech that's hateful and we need to manage that, you know, or there's certain speech that can be, 
misinformation and we need to we need to guard against misinformation no these are things that we said we the people said congress shall not do okay that means they won't do it and of course they do it the permanent managerial state that congress authorized over the years basically does all these things to us and we've got no recourse nothing we can do about it the states don't fight back because if they do they might lose their block grants or whatever and it's just it just gets worse and worse and worse all the time and one of these days we're going to wake up and it's going to be a police state like a real police state with like a gestapo where people are asking you about your papers and where are you going and why are you leaving your neighborhood why are you driving so slow on the street are you looking to commit a crime. I mean, I, I looked at a video here a while back that was in Great Britain and this guy's just waiting for his buddy outside the train station. And this cop comes up and just starts hassling me. What are you doing here? Well, I'm waiting for my buddy at the train station. He goes, why do you care? And the guy's like, well, I'm here to make sure there's no crime being commissioned. And he's like, a crime? What kind of crime? You know, I'm not, I'm not committing any crime. And it was just an absurd conversation, but this is the way, this is the way it is now between the police and the citizenry, not just in England, although that is an example from England or Great Britain, rather, I'm not sure where it was in England. It, it might've been in England. Uh, but anyway, it's just, these things are just, these are really important things that we've lost understanding of and Henry Kissinger was a big part of that, big part of losing that understanding. They just saw uh, all this stuff that he did and that he advocated for was a means to an end. It was a means, whatever they had to do, if they had to bomb NVA troops in Cambodia to further the empire or the United States, that's what they did. They just saw that as something they had to do in order to keep the, the empire moving forward. All right. With that, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for coming in this evening. Always appreciate you coming in and listening. Hope you find my commentary and my topics interesting. Um, I certainly think they're important, uh, but I know that I need to work hard to make them interesting because uh, without an engaging kind of conversation, it just sounds like Charlie Brown's parents. And nobody wants to listen to that, right? So uh, keep coming back, though. I'm getting better all the time, trying to get better all the time, trying to bring you good content, stuff that, you know, you can enjoy. You can learn a little bit about uh, on your drive to work or drive to the grocery store, whatever you're doing in your busy day. So thanks for coming in, and we'll see you uh, next time, all right? One last clip, and then we'll break up. Peace. So Henry Kissinger was the most significant uh, diplomatist of uh, the Cold War, without exception. <laughs>